Hello and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. We are fiddling with some new technology today. I have a very brand new mic right in front of my face. I don't know if you can see it. It's not falling apart anymore. Jake has a brand new mic in front of his face. Jake, let the beautiful people see it. He's a very nice microphone, I have to say. We got a very good deal, so he's cool. Well, hopefully the audio quality is better. You know, it's one of those things that's easier to watch a podcast. Like if you watch it on YouTube, the audio isn't quite as bothersome. Right, like, because you can you can read the lips and the what you can see it, which kind of takes away from the quality of what you're listening to in your ears. But uh, I've had some complaints about the quality of the audio itself, and I, I figure if anybody's listening to this on a train or something like that, moving around, if you don't have any visual stimulus, the shit quality of the audio really stands out. So we have updated. We have fucking stage lights now. We got new mics. <laughs> you're you're wearing headphones. I'm wearing sound, headphones. Sound sounding sound should be good. So uh, you know we're we're trying to upgrade this thing. We can even play uh, we can even play audio now into the laptop, which you will hopefully hear in your headphones as well. And before, if we'd play video or audio or something like it, it wasn't able to go in. But we've got a new uh, machine, so hopefully, if we uh, play some kind of video on the YouTube channel or something like that, uh, while you guys are listening, you actually get the audio. So we're both pumped. I'm wearing my Khabib. If Samba was easy, it'd be called Jiu-Jitsu shirt. And uh, we're feeling pumped up. You know what's weird, uh, Jake? One of the first things I want to start talking about today was uh, was Sambo. Have you you haven't been since we started training the Sambo, right? No, I saw since getting ready for a contest. So you've been getting him ready, but I then wrecked my ankle, thinking it was twenty. So I've not been. <laughs> yeah, so there's a Sambo competition coming up, and uh, it actually is in two or three weeks or something like that. And uh, it's quite interesting, man, because I'd never trained a student for Sambo before, uh, so I didn't know exactly what the rules were. So I, I Googled them and then I put a couple of messages on some threads and stuff like that to try to figure out the nuance, right? I looked at the rules, but the nuance was lost on me because I've never done it before. And it's quite interesting, hey? It's like a combination of judo and, and BJJ, but you're not allowed to choke, right? But you are allowed to do arm locks and leg locks. And not only that, you're allowed to do bicep slicers and calf slicers. You're allowed to do like yeah. hip like hip spladels and hip pulls and basically all the painful horrible submissions are totally illegal and then like the efficient ones that are quick and painless are illegal not allowed <laughs> I'm very surprised chokes are, are not allowed in it because Khabib's known for choking people and that's his background well I should so, I, I should distinguish a combat sambo from sports sambo ah uh, okay, okay right combat sambo is basically like amateur MMA right they wear the gloves they wear the MMA gloves they can kick each other they can punch each other then they can choke each other as well uh, so those rules are quite different, but this is sports sambo and, and not combat sambo. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like when you're competing, the rule set really matters. Yeah. Right? Depending on what the rules are will totally change the game. And uh, first of all, when you can't choke, it changes everything. Because the, the whole game of like taking someone's back changes, right? I'm not necessarily trying to like take your back to choke you. Instead, I'm trying to pin you. I'm trying to hold you down. So it's a combination in that sense of like wrestling and, and judo. And then there's a few submissions that you're allowed to do as well. And uh, so basically, if you shoot in, you don't have to worry about getting guillotined. You can turn your back and you're not have to worry about getting uh, choked as much. But there's things that they do like the calf slicers and they'll fly quickly into arm bars. Also, you're not allowed to close your guard. So like, because you're pinning, right? Because yeah. the, the objective is to pin your partner, to pin their shoulders down. Uh, and so the, the rules are quite weird, hey? So, but I, always, I found it interesting because the rule says you're not allowed to close guard, like half guard, close guard, because it creates stalling yeah. which at first made sense to me but then I posted on uh, on Reddit on R Sambo 
to try to find out the nuance of the rules on the bottom. So I was like, okay, you can't play guard, so what's the rule? Or what's the goal, right? Yeah. And everybody that responded to me basically just told me, oh, the, the goal is just to turtle up and stall until they stand you back up. So I was like, wait, you're not allowed to close the guard, not allowed to close the half guard but because it's stalling. Details, fine. And not only that, but I spoke to Tim, our judo coach, who's a Sambo champion in Singapore, and he was like, oh, yeah, they only give you about two seconds, three seconds, and then they stand you up. I'm like, Jesus, so you only have to stall for like two or three seconds and they stand you up? So it got me thinking a couple of things, right? The first one is uh, the limitations of every martial art in isolation, right? It was like, if you're doing BJJ and you're not throwing strikes, that's a game changer. If you're doing like sport sambo and there's no chokes, it changes everything. Like yeah. it just cre- and Part of that's cool because it creates specificity for one style of training and makes some moves very, very good. Judo, right? You're not allowed to shoot in the legs, right? Greco-Roman, you're not allowed to shoot in the legs. Like uh, freestyle wrestling, you, you, you're not trying to stand up from the bottom. You're trying to flatten out. All these little nuances really, really change the style, and you really start to see how limited certain martial arts are like in pure isolation, right? In the gi, you're not allowed to heel hook. Okay, well, then th- that changes a lot of the leg entanglements that you be, be put into, right? It's quite interesting to think about. Yeah, he's, I've never, um, I've seen some combat sambo, but I've never seen pure sambo. I actually didn't know there's a difference between the two. I thought it was just all mad Russian stuff where they tried murdering each other. Well, and this got me, uh, this got me thinking on another subject, right? And I don't know if uh, any of the listeners actually know this. I'm sure there's almost everybody that's listening to this is a, is a martial arts practitioner, but many of them may not actually know the history in the interconnected history between judo, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, sambo. And it's quite fascinating, actually. I've, I'm a little bit of a martial arts historian. I don't go, like, balls yeah. deep in it or anything. But uh, are you familiar with the, the connection? Didn't sambo come about because Russia had a war with, I think, Japan, and then their troops got absolutely, like, mullered in one-on-one combat, and they were like, oh, we need to do something about this. Or I'm a compl- or is that complete bullshit? Well, there, there's some truth into, the, into that. And the actual story is, is even crazier, right? So the origins of, of, of Sambo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo are completely intertwined, right? There's this really famous Judo academy in Japan called the Kodokan Gym, basically. Kodokan. Yeah. You, you can even Google this and maybe pull this up. And the founder of Judo is a guy called Jigoro Kano. So, yeah, pull him up. We'll, we'll start there and it'll give a little background. Because that's easy to spell. Uh K-A-N-O-G-I-G-O-R-O. Something along those, right? Jigoro Kano. Or Kano. Fun fact, I think the, mar- the martial arts character Kano was named after this guy. But uh, what the fuck what are you the hell? Put, put that up on the screen. Pull that up so we know. <laughs> what are you? Hey, come on, man. Look at that. How dare you. So what's this got to do with Sambo? (laughs) So it's K-A-N-O. By the way, for the listeners, Jake just pulled some hentai up on my screen over here. Okay. Uh, And space J-I. Yeah. yeah, There you go. Kano Jigoro. Right. So this is the founder of Judo. He's a a Japanese guy. Actually, he was a Japanese school teacher. And uh, he basically founded modern-day uh, judo, right? And he had this really famous academy. Yeah, there he is. Pull him up on the, the main screen. Look at that beautiful, beautiful man. Beautiful old man. So, so that's this guy. And now uh, you can keep me in the corner there. Pull his Wikipedia page up. And, and, and then uh, re- we'll read the first little bio about him. And then you can go down to notable students. And once you start to see his notable students, this is where this will get interesting. So Jigoro Kano was the head of this... Uh, famous judo academy and he's actually the founder of judo sort of the godfather of it and uh 
with him, and as I said, he was a school teacher. He's basically the person who trained a very familiar name for a lot of you, Maeda, who's the, the Japanese judoka who brought, who taught Carlos Gracie and who taught uh, Franca, he's the other branch of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then he is also the instructor of the guy that brought Sambo, or he took Judo to Russia and then gave birth to Sambo. So uh, to all my Muslim and Russians brothers who are listening to this podcast, we are like martial arts cousins. So uh, Jake, do me a solid man and yeah. read, read that introduction bio there about Jigoro Kano. Uh, so we have, uh, he was a Japanese educator, athlete, and founder of Judo. Judo was the first Japanese martial art to gain widespread international recognition and the first to become an official Olympic sport. Uh, pedagogical innovations attributed to Kano include the use of black and white belts and the introduction of the Dan ranking. So that's interesting. He's also the first person to create the white and the black belts that are all that are pretty much universal across all martial arts now, or traditional martial arts anyway. anyway yep. so, sorry, go on. Um, and the introduction introduction of the Dan ranking to show the relative ranking among members of a martial arts style. Well-known mottos attributed to Kano include maximum efficiency with minimum effort. There you go. Say that again. Maximum efficiency with minimum effort. So that's, I mean, you can see the gentle art type comparisons already, right? Being efficient with your energy. And by the way, he's, he's a small guy, right? And uh, so anyway, let's finish this up. Um, and uh, the other well-known saying is mutual welfare and benefit. Yeah. Okay. So now this is the founder of judo, and uh, he he's the one who got into the Olympic Games, and he had this really famous academy where he had international students who who trained with him. And now do me a favor and go to notable students. It should be if you go up, if you go up, Jake, in the side panel, zoom in there, believe uh, below his image. Oh, okay. And you can even throw that on the main screen as well. No one wants to see my face. Yeah. So pull that up. Look at that first name there, Mitsuya Maeda. Maeda is the, uh, is the Japanese guy who went to Brazil and taught his version of, ju of judo. Actually, back then, it was actually called uh, Kano Jiu-Jitsu. That was the original name of it, right? And so he taught Maeda, who then taught uh, Carlos Gracie, who then later taught Helio Gracie, and he also taught Franca. And this is a little bit of martial arts history, but... Everyone attributes all of the jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, uh, lineage to the Gracies, but there's actually two. Yeah. There's actually two masters, uh, Franca and Carlos Gracie, and they split, and uh, GF Team is part of the split, right? GS, GF Team is the other side of the, the tree, right? Along with some other lineage, including uh, Andre Pedaneris, who's a really famous coach. Now, there's one other one I want you to look at here that's very interesting, right? And that's... Uh, See if his let, name... let me see if we can guess. Is it the Japanese sounding names or the Russian name? <laughs> yeah, so Vasily Oshchepkov, right? Click on him. Okay, so this is the uh, father of Sambo, right? He trained at the Kodokan Academy with, with uh, Kano, with Maeda. And uh, this guy is where it dates back to the story that you're talking about, the Russo-Japanese War. Because he went to Japan under some uh, scholarship to study uh, and then started training judo there under Kano. And then, crazily enough, went back to Russia, started teaching students there, started creating this sport of Sambo, and then later on was put in a prisoner of war camp because they thought he was a, a Japanese uh, sympathizer and he thought he was a spy. And then they fucking killed him when he was in a prisoner of war camp, shot him in the head, 
and then later, years later, after his death, exonerated him because he was innocent. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's insane. That is crazy. So this guy who's the father of the national sport of Russia was killed wrongly <laughs> in a prisoner of war camp, executed by... By uh, you, you know what? Why don't you? Can you? Uh, if you zoom out a little bit, Jake, on his uh, find death on this guy, Vasily Oshchepkov. Uh, it's down there. Can you read what it says in regards to his death? Because it's just crazy. And the, the, again, these are our martial arts cousins here. This is this would be like if Helio Gracie was found <laughs> treasonous and then shot in the head in a concentration camp or a, a prison camp. So we have him um, on the night of. 1st to 2nd October 1937, you have to say his name. Oshchepkov? <laughs> was arrested. He died in Petrika prison, officially of a heart attack. In reality, he was... Oh, hold on. <laughs> <Yeah>. officially, <laughs> officially of a heart attack. Now, go ahead and continue yeah. the rest of that sentence. <laughs> in reality, he was accused of being a Japanese spy, and 10 days after his arrest, was shot in the head for his fraternization with Japanese Imperials. In 1957, Vasil, gone. <laughs> was uh, posthumous. Oh, I can't say that word. Posthumously. Come posthumously. on, You're an English teacher, bro. No, I'm <laughs> definitely not an English teacher. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. not an English teacher, but pardoned, English teacher. Yeah, pound, pardoned and found innocent of any wrongdoing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Pardoned and found innocent of any wrongdoing. So, what could have been? What could have been? But, you know, I always find this interesting, right? Because... First of all, I've always been a fan of Sambo in regards to its efficacy. I mean, obviously, Jiu-Jitsu and MMA is life for me, right? And Muay Thai, I love all martial arts equally. And, uh, but I always found it interesting because, I mean, Fedor was the obvious first representation of Sambo, particularly combat Sambo, in MMA. But now, you're seeing a whole new animal with these Sambo fighters coming into the UFC and coming into MMA. I mean, one of the top contenders in one is a, a Dagestani Russian Sambo fighter. You have how many? Of course, Khabib. You have Islam. You have the whole uh, Nurmagomedov group. You have uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, who someone commented and wanted us to talk about who fought in Bellator. You have um, a top contender in the Bellator, is it middleweight or light heavyweight division? He's also a Russian Sambo guy. Like you have uh, Zabit, right? Magomed Sharipov. A sambo guy you have uh the ki the king of kung fu what's that guy's name uh really really interesting i believe he's also a dagestani or a russian sambo fighter i mean so sambo in russia is developing in the way that bjj is developing in the last 10 or 15 years in america and in and in uh, brazil and also in europe and everywhere else too like man you get these sambo fighters quote unquote sambo fighters of course, they have amazing ground skills, the throws and the trips, but then you got like Zabit doing jump, spinning back kicks off the cage, like the Showtime kick and spinning back kicks. And you had this guy, the King of Kung Fu, or the, is it the King of Kung Fu? Uh, damn, I can't remember this guy's name. I vaguely know what you mean, and I can't, I can even see his face. Uh, yeah, me too. I, he just fought a few months ago, I think on Fight Island. But anyway, my point is, is that you have these guys, and of course, Fedor, right, that are developing Sambo and so many people don't even realize that train now that those are like our martial arts cousins, right? Those are our brothers. It's the, all comes from this guy, Jigoro Kano. And with no disrespect to, to the Gracies, of course, when, when uh, Maeda took Jiu-Jitsu, his version of Jiu-Jitsu to Brazil, obviously that culture and that people took it and ran with it and made it evolve in, in an incredible way. And they deserve all the credit for that. 
But the origins of all of these grappling martial arts are, are Japanese. Whether it's Sambo in Russia, whether it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil, and then when they brought it to America, America put their little uh, put their little flavor on it. And there are histories of grappling martial arts outside of that. I mean, there's like American catches catch can wrestling, and there was a uh, you know uh, you have still uh, pancreation, which is from Greece, right? And then you had wrestling, which was in the Olympics, and freestyle and folk style. They have a different a different base, but kind of as we know it, with the gi, you know what I mean, with the belts, that form of grappling, Sambo uses the gi, Judo uses the gi, BJJ uses the gi, it's, uh, it's all comes from this Kodokan yeah, this one guy. Judo Academy in uh, Japan, and it's fascinating, right, I don't know, I'm fascinated by martial arts history, I find it very interesting, and you can watch it evolve like it's a, an organism, right, yeah. the evolution of martial arts, and the last, can you, what was uh, Kano's, uh, de- he died in, 1910 or 1911 or something like that, I think. He was... Is that who's bringing up? Now... No, maybe it was in the 30s. What, what was that? Oh, it's 1938. Right. And then now they're like level of national attachment that they have. Right. I mean, you have Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is, of course, the national martial art effectively of Brazil. Right. Sambo is the national martial art of Russia. Judo in Japan. Right. I mean, and then, of course, America now with like Nogi. I would say America is the Mecca of Nogi in particular. But that all it's funny how it all traces itself down. Right. And where it's gone to at this point. He makes it. It makes me wonder, like, what else is there to discover? Like, is there another martial art out there that somehow no one's thought, oh, that worked really well? <laughs> well, it's still evolving for sure. I mean, if yeah. you look at the success of the inside heel hook in the last, like, five years, I mean, in some of the transitions, I mean, there's new guard, the K guard, right? There's new guards developing really, really quickly and new iterations. And then none of this is to, to uh, disparage the effect that, like, Sambo and uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu have had on MMA, right? Which is the way to combine all of these elements, right? When you're combining the boxing, the Muay Thai, the Taekwondo, the Judo, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the Sambo, the punching on the ground, the Valley Tudo, which is kind of like the Brazilian version of combat Sambo, right? The Valley Tudo where they actually would fight on the ground with their Jiu-Jitsu. So MMA is kind of the melting pot that all of these things have come into. And then you start to see how these individual uh, martial arts have flavored it, right? Because then you can have the, you know, you can have the people that want to mostly grapple and mostly wrestle. Or you can have the the Muay Thai guys tap the front foot and the, like, Western boxers. And they all found their own way to be effective, right? Which is what makes it interesting. Yeah. it's What you see more and more of as well today is that you've no longer got the specialists, like everyone can now do everything to a certain extent like MMA now I would say is its own martial art in a way if that makes sense like you can go and you could go to school and just learn MMA and then you're getting all those things put together instead of being a BJJ specialist instead of being a Muay Thai specialist you actually can now go and just be an MMA specialist yeah what makes that interesting too I think is that you know the martial arts is so dynamic I mean just going back to excuse me just going back to uh trying to teach one of my students some Sambo, right? Like we have uh, so two judo black belts that work for us at Stronghold. 
And my, I mean, I'm a jujitsu black belt, and obviously I know how to collar fight, and I know some basic trips and some basic throws and stuff, but my level of proficiency in the pure judo is not nearly as high as like a judo black belt, right? Yeah. But my wrestling is higher, right? So it's, it's funny because if you go to an MMA school, you're sort of stuck with dealing with these specialists, right? And they're, they're flavoring your style. So as I'm teaching Sid all of these certain moves, like, you know, actually in, in Sambo, you can epon. Right, so you can get an instant win by hitting a perfect throw. And a perfect throw means like, I throw you or I trip you or I do whatever, and if I can stay on my feet throughout the process. So if you pull me down and I land in the side control, or I do that, then that's points. Yeah. But if I can hit you with a perfect throw and I land squatted in front of you with my balance on my feet, that's an instant win, like a submission. Yeah. Right? So boom, matches over instantly. And I find that interesting, but you know, my, my point is, is if you go and you train at any MMA gym, like you're going to deal with the guy who's got the boxing wrestling. You're going to deal with the guy who's got maybe some kickboxing experience and is like a jiu-jitsu whatever belt. And then you're going to deal with the guy, oh, maybe he's an MMA fighter, but has he done clinching in Thailand? Okay, well, is this guy a judo black belt? And like the level of skills are so diverse and there's so many ways you can do it that there's really no one way. Because yeah. we've had effective wrestler boxers. Right, we've had effective like Khabib, like take down, wrestle, fuck, get on top, submit you. We've had successful all of that. We've had the Anderson Silva slick strikers that are jiu-jitsu black belt. Wrestling's maybe not perfect, but maybe dangerous from their back. And you've seen so many different versions of it that work that there is no right answer. But it's interesting how like where you are and the styles that have influenced your coaches can can affect the way that you perform. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's um. If we, if we touch semi-tight into the UFC today, like I always think it's interesting with the European fighters and Vittori's actually different to this, that I think the European fighters often struggle with grappling because it's just not a thing in Europe particularly. Like, no one wrestled when I grew up. It doesn't have its own tradition in the same way of grappling, right? Yeah. But like, what they have is boxing yeah. and kickboxing. Yes, you like the, the, the Dutch to... style of like kickboxing, that's Europe-wide. And obviously boxing's huge in I mean, Britain. England's had amazing champions. It has two current ones. There's been German champions in the past. There's like Obviously Dutch, Holland has amazing kickboxing. Yeah, but what I cannot tell you, I don't even think we've had an Olympic wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> it is how poor wrestling is. Or if we have, they've been knocked out in the first round. Like, bro, that's because they introduced alcohol too early, right? Like, those people, they don't want to grapple, bro. They want to get, they want to get, get drunk and throw down. Rip bombs at each other's head. That's, but what that's they do what have is do. bare knuckle boxing. That's what they have. Yeah. Because yeah. hey, if you go to the ground, you're, that's weakness, bro. That's weakness. Stand up, man. You're being soft. He's so bad that, uh, not Vittori, but another Italian was fighting a few weeks back. And they were, instead of saying shoot or take down, they were telling him, rugby tackle, rugby tackle. <laughs> that's, their, that's their comparison. That's funny, man. But, I mean, Marvin Vittori, but what's interesting about him is that he's very well-rounded. Mm. He's very well-rounded. I didn't know how he'd approach Kevin Holland. So today, we just saw these fights uh, earlier today. It was the most recent one. A couple big takeaways from the Kevin Holland-Marvin Vittori fight. First of all, Marvin Vittori is legit. He's legit. So all you Italian fans, you got one. You got a legitimate middleweight prospect who looks very good. And what I like about him is he, uh, he has several ways to win. Yeah. Right, like that fight with Jack Hermanson, that fight was good. They were, dude, they stood in front of each other and they were just brawling the whole time. Like their fight or their range was like pure boxing range the whole time. But 
periodically, Vittori would sprinkle in the takedowns. And, and often it was Hermanson that was looking for them, but Vittori has such good defense. He's built like a bull, man. His neck and his shoulder, like he's built like a fridge. He's as wide as he is tall. And uh, so he had an amazing fight with him. He's the only guy to go to a split decision with Israel Adesanya. Yeah. It says how good he is. He's young. He's 28. He's younger than a lot of the division. He was able to use his wrestling to, to win today. So Italy, you got one. You got a real, real prospect here. He's young. He's got a lot of hype in the division. It's going to be tough to know if he's got the tool set to beat Adesanya, but he's got the biggest upside. I think he's the youngest ranked top, top five fighter. In that division. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, got one. But Kevin Holland, I don't know, man. What's your opinion on Kevin Holland? I, I like him. I like his mouth. I like that he talks shit. He's funny. He's entertaining. Like, I'm entertained watching him fight. But talking shit only works when you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he's, and I do think he's a great guy. Like, when he was doing it and he was fighting and he was winning, he's brilliant. But then, who did he fight the fight before? Brunson. Yeah, Derek Brunson. Oh, and he's shouting to Khabib. Tell me how to wrestle. Tell me how to wrestle. <laughs> Which and is kind of funny. He, he's funny, but not when you're getting out-wrestled in a fight. He's <laughs> yeah. like, like, he, he, I get it. And it was like, it was amusing. And if he'd have won the fight, everyone had been going wild about it and how great it was. But he didn't win the fight. He put in a very poor performance and spent all his time just talking. It didn't make sense. Yeah, I thought, I thought for this fight he had a better balance. Yeah. He, he talked a little bit, but, you know, he still lost the fight, but... You know, for all you BJJ people, you're not going to like where I'm going with this this conversation. But that Sorry, is, we'll talk about Mackenzie Dern in a bit. We'll yeah, get we'll, we'll get to her, and then you'll get the reverse side of this argument. But you can just tell that Kevin Holland is a guy who spent most of his grappling time doing, like, slap hands, fist bump, jiu-jitsu. Because, like, he closes the guard all the time, Yeah. right? Like, he's trying to throw up submissions. He's only trying to sweep. Like, he, even against uh, Derek Brunson, like, he's closing the body triangle all the time. It's like, what are you doing? That's locking him on top of you. And, like, okay, you could play with that a little bit, but if it doesn't work, you got to change your strategy. Yeah. And against Marvin Vittori, like, he would keep getting taken down over and over again. First of all, his, uh, his octagon awareness is really bad. He would back up and get pinned against the octagon all the time. Like, because Vittori's pressing forward, but he doesn't know when to use his lateral movement to get his back off the cage. Most of Vittori's takedowns came from off the cage. Yeah. So if he used his footwork better and learned how to cut angles to and not have not move backward in a straight line, that would help his takedown defense a lot cuz against in the open, it's harder to take him down. If you pin him against the cage, man, he gets really lazy. His hand fighting was really bad like I was telling you before the podcast like, you know, like Vittori would be in on a double. He would be under his legs or he would have the body lock. He would have his hands connected and Kevin Holland is like, got, oh, and he's punching him in the body like this while he's inside, in on his legs. It's like, dude, you got to pummel. You got to get inside. You got to push down the head. You got to cross face. You got to fight the hands. Like, you can't, there's nothing to be gained from punching him there. Like, this dude's been in wars. What are you going to do to him? You think you're going to hurt him with a body shot when you're that close? There's no space. You need distance to create power with strikes. And so if you're punching him on the body when he's in on your legs, He'll take that all day. You need to get in there, fight his hands. Like it's just his priorities are are off. And DC even made a point in the commentary about like he only sees what's in front of him. He does. He's not aware of what's going on behind yeah. his back. The gripping and the connecting of the hands and the trips and. I think because it worked against Jacare that time, it was Jacare, wasn't it? Yeah, they knocked yeah, out from his back. From his back, which is crazy. But I think because it works once, he thinks oh it might work all the time. And it's like no, that was probably a one-off. You're probably never going to do that again. 
Yeah, but that's he, extremely he, rare. Yeah, but he seems to think it's a go-to, is yeah. what it looks like. And it just looks like, how old is he? 28, 29. Yeah, like if he could get his fight IQ up, he'd be dangerous. But it's just too much BJJ training, man. Too much B. Two things. Two things Kevin Hall needs to do. And you can... I know what I'm looking at, right? I mean, I'm not a fucking master of everything, but two things he needs to do is number one, he needs to train in a cage. You just can't get pinned up against the cage like that. Yeah. You, I mean, you got to use your lateral footwork. You got to shuffle step. You got to not learn how to get someone to not cut you off. Because Vittori's just walking forward, and when Kevin Holland moves to one side, he steps to that side, and then when he moves out, he's stepping over here, and then within three or four steps, he's getting his back to the cage. Derek Brunson did the same thing to him, and I think that's because he's training in a large open space where he's got infinite room to move backwards. And if you're not actually training, that the cage is a weapon. Right, yeah. it, it is a weapon. It's an out, it's a outside force that you have to learn how to manipulate. And I just feel like when he's training in the gym, he can just move backward, and he's not dealing with that barrier. Or and when he is like wall wrestling or cage wrestling, it's only that specific drill. It's not the whole rounds that he's doing. Right, you know, it's like okay, time to wall wrestle, but it's not like okay, we're starting on the feet, and then someone's going to cut you off and try to push you back into the cage. And the other thing is just accepting the bottom position. You just can't because. To Kevin Holland's credit, his striking is damn dynamic. Every time it got on the feet, it looked close. Man, and it, he and it looked like Holland could do something. Heat. Yeah. He throws heat. He's dangerous. But he can't keep it on the feet. Yeah. So. Exactly. And a lot of that is him accepting the bottom position. A lot of that is not no, is like trying to punch when he should be fighting for a position. Like, and I, I always tell this to my students when we're training MMA. There's always a, a, a dichotomy that you have to try to balance when you're training MMA, and that's between punching and grappling. Because when I'm grappling you, you can't really hit me because you have to fight for the position. As soon as you stop moving and I don't have to control you anymore, now I can hit you, right? And that, that's the difference. Like If I'm forced to control you because you're in motion, I can't hit you when you're in motion, Yeah. right? Because I have to be taking you down. When I'm taking you down, you have to defend the takedown and you're safe from punches. As soon as we stop moving, now you can hit me. When I start moving, now you have to adjust and start fighting the body posture and the positioning and all that kind of stuff. And you get these jujitsu people that think they can play on their back and they just can submit and sweep everybody. He had a nice sweep in the first round. It was really over the head. He just kind of tuck and rolled. That was sick. But it's just different with the punches. And, and he really needs to train his defensive wrestling and his octagon awareness because you can be Stylebender, right? Stylebender doesn't have the best wrestling, yeah. but his distance control and he knows when his back is against the cage. Like he knows the space, he knows how to cut angles, and he knows how to move his feet. And uh, I'm sure pure wrestling is not that great, but he uses other skills to mitigate the deficiencies that he has in that one area. So Kevin Hall could go that route, but it needs to be one or the other. Like he needs to learn how to measure the distance better not get his back pinned against the cage, or he's got to learn how to get up when someone's on top of him. Yeah. To turn his back. He's got to turn his back. You can't – it's so hard to stand up when someone's facing you, and he's playing guard. It's like at a certain point, you got to show your back. You may get your back taken, but you got to get up, right? But he's got like he's got long legs and good jujitsu, and he keeps on getting his like feet to the hips and then doesn't push off and just closes guard again. I know. And you're like just push him backwards. So frustrating. Yeah. He's so fun, right? Like he's so fun. He could be a superstar. Yeah. But and the other thing you gotta love about Kevin Holland is he just does not give a shit. He no, will fight three three weeks notice. Five times last year he yep. fought Derek Brunson like three weeks ago. He's fighting again. He's had seven fights in like a year. Yeah, he's had like, two. He's had two five round fights back to back. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. And that's an amazing card. Doesn't give a shit. And you gotta love a person that's that down. Yeah. Right. But I feel like he may need to take some time 
to uh, address the deficiencies because he went five and zero last year and now he's zero and two this year. Yeah. And I feel like it's because he went five and zero last year. All of a sudden, he's in the top ten, top five ish of the division, and now everybody knows what his weakness is. Okay, Jacare took him down. He's got taken down a few times, but he was always able to come out on top. And then Derek Brunson took him down a bunch of times. And now Marvin Vittori took him down a bunch of times. And all of these top guys are going to start to see that that's the weakness. And if you want to keep being active, now everybody kind of knows how to deal with you. If you don't take time to specifically strengthen those areas, then you're going to be in for long nights against these people who now are developing a game plan for you. Yeah. Not to just fight, but to fight you specifically which is the issue that you run into in the top 10, right? Yeah. He's super tough as well. So, like, Vittorio was taking him down, but it never really looked like it was getting finished. I think there was once where he got him in the head and arm, but outside of that, I never thought, oh, this is going to end. So he's clearly, like, you know, he's clearly got the cardio, clearly got the toughness, clearly got the stand-up. He just seems to be lacking in, like, fight IQ and wrestling. Yeah, fight IQ, wrestling, and then kind of, like, Awareness, like yeah. awareness of, of, but particularly in the grappling. But even then, his his jujitsu defense is good. Yeah. But that doesn't win you fights in MMA, especially in the UFC. Not anyway. Uh, let's let's roll on because I want to get to this, and then we still have to talk about one championship. Oh, one championship. So there's the rest of the card. Uh, Arnold Allen. I think that's ten in a row for him. Dude, he's a beast. Yep. He's a beast. He looked good in that fight. Sadiq Yusuf also looked quite good in that fight. I think uh, no. He's one of the best British prospects. Yeah. Is he the best? Darren Till and him are probably the top two right yeah, now, I'd say. Oh, no. Leon's number one by a long stretch. Rocky. What about, what about, I don't know. Darren Till's up there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. They're just boring. He's boring. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, no disrespect. You fucked me up. But, yeah, but, um, but I thought. You're um, right. Those, man, British MMA is pretty fucking good right we got, now. We've got three good ones. Yeah. So, but I thought, when you talk about fight IQ, I actually thought um, Alan showed really good fight IQ in the third that he basically said, all right, I can lose the third. As long as I don't lose badly, I've won the fight. And that's exactly what he did in the third round. He did, wasn't trying to strike. He was just making sure he wasn't getting hit, but he didn't mind getting slightly outstruck. And every opportunity possible, he just clinched and grappled and wasn't even overly concerned about winning the grappling exchange, just stopping the fight. I think it showed good fight IQ. On yeah, that is good fight IQ. You know, that it's like uh, when, when you describe that to me, I always have this one example of a fight that I refer back to when I try to explain this to like my students or something like that. And it's always DC Cormier 2. Or DC uh, Stipe. <laughs> DC <laughs> yeah, Cormier 2. Huh? DC fought himself. No, uh, Cormier uh, Stipe 2, the second one. Right, Cormier's winning all that fight. He won all those three rounds. He starts getting hit with that body shot, hit with that body shot, and he keeps getting into a fight with him. Yeah. He keeps staying in the pocket. It's like, dude, and every time he would get hurt, he would come forward and he would keep swinging when he's hurt because he's trying to fight back. But it's like, dude, get on your bike. Like, if you get hit yeah. the body shot, step back, shuffle. You can give this round to win the fight. Yeah. Have you thought about wrestling, that thing you're really good at? But even if he doesn't want to wrestle, right? Like, yeah. let, let's say he's worried about getting inside or whatever. Like, you can just give up the round. Yeah. Give up the round to win the fight. Lose the battle to win the war. And uh, I think... Uh, Allen did that, yeah. right? Like he didn't have to. He could have stood there, but then you risk all of the damage, right? And that DC um, Stipe fight, it's like he was already up three rounds clearly. Yeah. And then like once he got hit hard enough to worry, he was like, oh shit, he needs to actually like register that threat. And then because he got hit again, then the hand comes down and the bombs come over the top, and then fuck, he's getting swarmed. If he had just like 
got on his bike, shuffled on the outside, like stayed away, backed up, like uh, clinched. Even if it's a defensive clinch, even if he got pushed and grabbed him and then was his back was against the cage, even if he got taken down. Yeah. Like he could have pulled guard and made that fight last until the end of the round. Yeah. Like, and he would have sacrificed that one battle to win the war. And uh, yeah, that's, that's high level intelligence there. This is like the opposite of, of uh, <laughs> Kevin Holland, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so let's hit through this pretty quick, the rest of it, hey? So we got Sam Alvey and uh, Julian Marquez. Fun fight. Is that Julian Marquez guy, the guy that called out Miley Cyrus? I don't know. Is that him? <laughs> I think that's him. Anyway, fun fight. Fun fight. Fun fight, swinging at each other. Yeah, good, yeah. good barred burner. Oh, no, that oh, the finish was brutal, the joke. Yeah, yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah. That was brutal. He went out. Yeah, he went out. He's... Yeah. You know what I hate, too? I saw, I saw this on Instagram, and it was like... <laughs> It's just this bro mentality of people being like, yeah, kudos to Alvy for going out on your shield. It's like, does it make you tough to go unconscious? I just don't. <laughs> I saw it's like several things. Oh, by the way, remind me. We got to talk about uh, uh, Aljamain Sterling. Yes. <laughs> the neck surgery. Did you see this? I saw he had to have neck surgery. Yeah, pull up his Instagram later. Just remind me. Yeah, just yeah, remind yeah. Me it's, I've got to yeah. get into your Instagram, so yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I mean, I just don't understand this idea of like, it's somehow manlier to get choked unconscious. It's like, the only person who says that is a guy that doesn't train. Yeah, who's never been choked unconscious. It's like, kudos for going out on your shield. <laughs> what? 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 It's like, oh, yeah, because he's in there in a fucking cage fight, risking it all in front of everybody, and somehow him going unconscious makes him, gives him, like, his man card. <laughs> it's like, what is this nonsense? Anyway, uh, good fight, fun fight. That's, was that fight of the night? I don't know. Must have been. Yeah, I reckon. Uh, I'll put the others up. Nina Ansaroff, also known as Nina Nunes now. Did yes. you see that? I did. did he confused that? me because uh, on the card I saw Dern Nunes. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because Nina Ansaroff is like a top five uh, in her division. So you know you got to be dating a fucking alpha <laughs> for her to change her last name. Like, yeah, she, she has date, she's dating the actual guy. Though, she so, is yeah. a, dating the most alpha female of all time. So yeah, she should change her name. But uh, kudos to them. Uh, but she lost that fight. I mean, Mackenzie Dern's jiu-jitsu is just too good. Yeah. Um, but she's another one. I mean, we, it remains to be seen how long this will go. Actually, I mean, Nina, I think, is, was ranked fifth, so yeah. she's working but her she's way just, up to the top. She's just that, well, not just, but she's coming back off having a kid, so she had at least, what, a year off? But is it strawweight? Is that, is that Rose and Wei Li, or is that Valentina? Can you, can you check? I, I get those divisions confused. Okay. Let's see who the champion of strawweight is. Or can you pull up the strawweight rankings? Yeah. Women's strawweight rankings. I believe that's uh, I believe that's uh, Wei Li and John Wei Li and Rose Namajunas. Rankings women's strawweight, and then it should give you yeah. And you can pull that up on the the main too when you got a second. Women's yeah, it's uh, Zhang Wei Li. Okay, can you pull up the the women's rankings? Yeah, what well, Okay, so yeah, now Sorry, I'm not gonna up. He's trying to make, trying to make me accept cookies. But like, oh, fucking go. cookies. So okay. Here we go. Yeah, so the top five here is gonna be a problem. It's gonna be a problem for Mackenzie Dern because now, okay, so she beat Nina Nunes. Uh, so she beat Nina, and that's gonna give her the fifth or sixth rank. So now she's gonna deal with Carlos Barca. And by the way, she's good. The number three ranked Chinese female, she is damn good. Yeah. She's very, very good. Joanna, best takedown defense in, in the UFC female division. Rose, amazing takedown defense. And then the juggernaut that is Zhang Weili. 
the physical manifestation of the X-Men juggernaut. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is now we're gonna see. Whoever yep. she fights next, we're gonna see how well this jujitsu shit works. I mean, to be fair to Mackenzie Dern, she's she has struck in fights. She's not afraid to strike. Her, her stand up does not look terrible. Like some like some BJJ. She's not afraid to do it, but is it technical enough that if she can't get the fight to the ground that she can win? I think not. Not against yet. some of those people. Yeah. So the rubber's going to meet the road pretty soon here for Mackenzie Dern, and we'll see how she deals with the top five. She got just about as far as she can expect to armbar people in the first round, I think. <laughs> I don't see many first-round armbars coming in that top five. But she does have the... If, if she can get any of those top five to the ground, she is significantly better than most of them. I don't know if she can do it in, like, maybe... Let's say she gets an early takedown. Can she do it in, like, three minutes? Yeah. That's the thing. She, I, mean, she, I mean, she got the armbar in the last, what, 30 seconds today? If yeah. That, so she, but Joanna, yeah. like, Sean Wei Lee, Rose. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Because even in BJJ, right, you get 10 minutes, dude. MMA, by the time you get the takedown, assuming you get it quick, you got, like, four minutes to work with. Yeah. Quick. Quick sent. Right. So all we're saying is she needs a quick takedown in the center of the ring in the first, what, 10 seconds of the first round? To get half then of a round. Gonna, yeah, then she's going to win. To get half of a round in, in BGJ. Yeah. Right? Because black belts get 10 minutes. So, I mean, I was watching this. Uh, did you watch the most recent GSP podcast with, with uh, Joe Rogan? I've started it. I've not got very far into it. So it's quite interesting because apparently GSP decided, I think it was against Bisping, that uh, he wasn't going to do... Uh, he wasn't going to do like slap hands, fist bump, jujitsu for five minutes, right? Because normally he would do like his rolling would be five minutes, like a UFC round. He decided he would only do three minutes. Because even if he gets a takedown, most likely you're only going to have three minutes. And the level of urgency is so different when you have to submit somebody after the takedown in MMA, right? And he's like, you know, that slap hand, fist bump, chill, rolling shit, like, oh, uh, is totally different than MMA. Yeah. So he's like, okay, best case scenario, you get like, Three or four minutes. I mean, you're not getting a takedown in the first 30 seconds of the fight against high-level people. Like, maybe you get three. That's like on a good day. So he's like, okay. I, and it changes the urgency of the rules. Because if you're like a normal, I mean, we do like six or seven-minute rules at Stronghold. Yeah. Right? So imagine if like, okay, I only have three minutes to submit this black belt. I mean, they can stall out. Good luck. It's pretty tough. You know what I mean? So I thought that was interesting, and that's a that's a strategy I think I'll steal in the future for my MMA guys. Is like you only you get three, three minutes because yeah. now you gotta go. Yeah, because it's totally different than if you can chill in your back for four or five minutes and then you know whatever. So that's what I see foresee being the problem with uh, Mackenzie Dern. Even if she gets it down, like you get Yuana on top. If you got three minutes to work, she can probably stall you out because again. Most of your time, if you're Mackenzie Dern, is going to be spent trying to control them, not like passing the guard or not like side control. Like they're fighting to to make you hold them down. Like the whole battle is actually keeping them down, not just like okay, now I'm going to work this armbar from the mount. Like you know, you mount people in the gym, you get side control. You can spend three or four minutes in the side control, but they're just keeping their elbows in. You're not trying to hold them down because they're always trying to stand up. That changes everything. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how Mackenzie does. I think especially as well with the way that the UFC scored, where they're not really giving points anymore just for holding someone down. Yeah. Like, they're not, you need to be attempting and nearly getting a submission to get big points for that round. If you're just inside control and, you know, it's not No damage. Happening. Yeah, no damage. Nothing's happening. You're not actually necessarily, like, and 
Say, say you spend two minutes on the feet and you've lost those two minutes and then you get a takedown for three minutes but you don't do anything, you've probably lost the round still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. So I don't know, it'd, it'd be interesting to watch her because now she should have a good one coming up. So I'm quite curious to see how she'll do in the top five of the division. Maybe she'll be the first ever pure BGG person to get a UFC belt. I doubt it. But <laughs> we'll <coughs> see. I doubt it. But we'll, we'll see. All right, dude, let's hit up the one. Hey, do you want to just do uh, the last one on the main card, which is uh, Mike, Mike Perry. Perry? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, we, you know, Mike Perry just banging, bro. You know? <laughs> he had a nice takedown in the first round. Uh, that Daniel Rodriguez guy, his, his stand-up is sharp. He looked pretty good. Yeah, he looked good. I guess he, is he training under Joe, Joe Schilling? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty good. You know, Mike Perry just seems like one of those guys who's not afraid to fight, but isn't interested in mastering fighting. You yeah. know, doesn't have a head coach, doesn't put all of the time in, has his girlfriend in his corner and all that kind of stuff. And I think today, it's fun to a point, but yeah. like you're hitting the level now. I mean, that guy had a bang. He almost beat Vincente Luque at one point. Like he's got the skill, like or the potential. The raw ingredients are there. But if he's not going to approach this thing with the level of dedication that you would want and need as a high-level professional athlete, then I think he's hit a ceiling. Yeah, he beat he, Paul Felder. I mean, Paul Felder's fucking legend. Bizarrely, him and Darren Till have a very strange like love-hate relationship sort of thing. And Darren Till sent out a message after the fight today saying, look, come and train with me. Train with my camp. Train with my team. You need a team. You've got all the tools. You don't have a team. And I think that's that is the case with him that he doesn't maybe have the discipline to like right I'm your head coach this is what you're going to do and you're going to do it. He doesn't have the discipline to have somebody discipline him. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he has enough discipline to show up to training. He's always in good shape, but you know at a certain point you just have to take someone else's advice like you have to listen to them. Like you have to know that your opinion and your desires and are not always the best like you you are limited by your own subjectivity right and you need somebody to see objectively what your weaknesses are and diagnose your issues and and all that kind of stuff and he just doesn't seem like he's the he doesn't seem very coachable no so i mean i think in the room he will listen but not enough to let somebody actually take control of his entire camp and uh you know if that's the case i think he's reached a ceiling uh, but it'll be interesting to see how the Darren Till thing goes. I saw that that tweet as well where he he, met, he messaged him and said, "Hey, my coach is a legend. Come here, train with us." You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Maybe I'm, in a way, you wish he'd do it because he's clearly got the skill and the physical attributes, and he's got the marketability and the entertainment value. Like they, the UFC's tried, right? I mean, he's yeah. fun. Like he he gets a lot of uh, love on social media for better or worse, right? Like he's a character. People see, like him. Did you see when he got his um? Genome sequencing done or whatever it was, and it turned out it was like one percent black. So he's like, "Oh, I can say the N word." Yeah, now. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Yeah, that's definitely not how it works. But he's ghetto enough; he can pull it off somehow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Let's hit up the one. Um, so I need you quickly to log me onto your Instagram. To my Instagram? Yeah, because I don't know my password. <laughs> oh, Jesus! For what? Why do you need? So we can show the finish. You, you can't just Google it. Or you have to actually be. No, it needs to be on Instagram. If you just type Instagram in, it might, might it might be logged in already. No, it's not. Oh, I've shit. tried. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. We'll, have to, we'll edit this. Oh, do you want to take a quick? Yeah, let's. I gotta right. pee anyway, so let's do a quick pause. Yeah. Okay. And we are back. We are back. Instagram is up. We took a potty break. Now we're good to go. So I kind of want to finish the podcast up on one. Uh, 
because the one last week was crazy. I wanted to do a breakdown video of this, and I, I still may. But, man, we had some massive upsets. This was the one's first ever show on TNT in America. And funnily enough, it was actually filmed in, in Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> but they did it at the right time, I guess, so that it was on late night in the U.S. And this was kind of like one starting to stretch their toes a little bit and to tap into the American market, which is why they had guys like uh, DJ and, uh, and uh, Eddie Alvarez on the card. Apparently, it was on as well after, not the WWE, but whatever the other, AEW, I think it is, or something like yeah. that, the other big wrestling promotion. It was on straight after that. To Which try is and smart. Get that audience. Yeah, clever. clever that was clever. smart. Unfortunately, the first fight on the main card <laughs> ended horribly. And there's a lot to, to sort of break down uh, in this. So Eddie Alvarez uh, fought Yuri Lipschitz. Should I bring the card up? Yeah, yeah, pull, bring up the card. And so he just fought Yuri Lapicius in the in the first fight on the main card. And Yuri is a guy who just fought for the title. He just lost to Christian Lee uh, most recently in a short fight. Kind of interesting. Yuri dropped Christian Lee within the first like ten seconds of the fight when Christian was just berserking his way in. And uh, but then uh, Christian got him down and smashed him after that. So you know all of the writing was kind of on the wall here that this was Eddie's chance to break in and, and get the title fight. But as you saw... Um, should I play it? Yeah, go ahead and play it. Let's pull this thing up. We should have sound. So let's, let's see what we got here. Because if you hear it with the ref, it's very interesting. So you can see... Yeah. Back the head. So he did get a warning. I was wondering if he got a warning. Okay, okay. So that's interesting. I'm glad we have the audio here because I was wondering if the if the ref had given several warnings. And honestly, <laughs> I kind of made a joke on the group chat here. Pull up the – finish watching – can we pull it back up again? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like Lapicious kind of took a football dive here. Yeah. See, we've not actually spoke about this, so I am interested to see what you think, and then I'll say what I think, and uh, you're obviously the expert. <laughs> here we go. Um, yeah, so let's pull up this thing because these were borderline for sure. But I've never seen a reaction to like getting kind of punched in this neck side of the no. ear where he act. See, I mean, <laughs> I'm conflicted here because you never really know what the damage was like until you're the person being the hit, being hit, right? Yeah. You, you don't know how much it hurts, but and he did get a lot of warnings, and they were borderline. But I understand he got warnings, but I've seen that sort of thing before and then we tell just watch the back of the head watch the back of the head and then they're not disqualified like in and he doesn't knock him out by hitting him on that back of the head he knocks him out because he cries in pain and backs off and then gets hammer fisted to pieces so I mean I, I do think he got one that was pretty borderline the rest seemed like they were just behind the ear there and uh, I don't know they, they said on the broadcast that apparently the one rule is past the ear it constitutes the back of the head now, the, the UFC rule is like the mohawk, right? That's what they would used to say. Is like you imagine somebody having a mohawk, that strip goes thinner down toward the spine. Yeah. And you're basically dealing with like a small uh, area, basically like along the spine, right? So, But behind the ear is not the spine. And I don't think behind the ear necessarily constitutes the back of the head. He did get a lot of warnings, though. I, I, wasn't, I couldn't remember that because I hadn't seen it. I watched it live, but I hadn't seen like the follow-up. It was disappointing for everybody. I heard that Yuri got taken out in a stretcher. I don't know how much of that is like... But I think that's because he got hammer-fisted to... Like, he got absolutely blasted. So he's screaming, screaming, screaming. I'll, I'll put it on again. And then he screams and comes back. And Alvarez just 
rains down on him. And that's what did the damage. Yeah, and I will say, though, that the one it looked like actually went to the back of his head did elicit the reaction of him to go back and cry and paint. Pull that up again one, one more time. We could be on this all day. Yeah. He's like, that's how, that's, but that's, that's how close it is. And I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer no. either. And But the reason why I'm starting to think that it's fair is because he got loud warnings like four times. Like when you get that many warnings, you kind of got to just abandon that, right? And posture up. And, and Eddie was destroying him, right? Like, yeah. He was just destroying him. Right, I'll, and, pl- I'll play it, and if we don't talk over it, and we can count the warnings, yeah, so I think I can do this. And then one more thing before we, we start it. Count the warnings, and then also, there was one that looked like it went the deepest toward the back of the head, and right after that is when he, he saw backwards. the reaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's take a look at this one more time. Oh. <sighs> There's solid shots though. Hey. That's like neck, kind of. That's yeah. But then... Sorry, I'll give my input in a second. Two. Three. And then he also, he stopped it when he went down. Right? Like, he stopped it after he'd fallen back already. I don't know. It, like, it, it's tough. If... So, if Alvarez doesn't follow up with the hammer fist, which I think finishes him, he say Alvarez... So, he said, don't hit the back of the head. And he doesn't. Then it's not a disqualification. He's going to let give, the fight go on. Maybe they give him a yellow card or yeah. something like that. Yeah. As in one, they give yellow cards. I, I mean, I, I was I was shocked when the red card came out. Me too. It was a lose lose, right? Like nobody kind of wanted it to go that way. I mean, Eddie Alvarez was warned, and then he just kept throwing those shots. And there's a couple issues here. One, like, I get the rule, right? But also, this is like the UFC equivalent of people putting their hand down to try to avoid the knee because Yuri's literally exposing the back of his head to avoid these shots because he knows like, okay, you can hit me here, so I'm going to expose the back of my head, which is the most vulnerable spot in the body. So in one sense, like, you're not allowed to strike the back of the head, but in the other sense, like, he's turning his head, the back of his head to you, which is the most dangerous spot to be hit to try to avoid this. So he's gaming the rules a little bit, and also, like, he's expo- like in a martial arts context, a pure martial arts context, as you expose, if you expose the most vital part of your body to strikes, to game the system, it's like, it's not a good move. Like, you, you would never, like, okay, you're not allowed to hit me here, so let me give you the most vulnerable part of my body because it's, illegal to hit me there it's just it's disappointing for all parties i think nobody wanted to see it like that i guess they kind of have to do a rematch now but if you're one you you, you weren't enjoying that no on all. your first on your first you're coming out party to america with like your your second biggest american fighter on the card and that's how it went down like no one wanted that yeah no one wanted that nobody no. eddie didn't want that yuri didn't want that one didn't want that and it, it was a violation of the rules, I would say, especially considering all the warnings that he, he received and he kept throwing it. And he's like, watch the back of the head. Also, Eddie's not really looking, right? He's got kind of his head down. He's throwing them. So when they're like, watch the back of the head, at some point he should have like tried to register where those shots are landing and he just keeps throwing them. So uh, lose-lose for everybody. But, you know, you hope, I guess they have to do a rematch. And just for Eddie, you're like, damn, man. Like, he's had a couple rough rough fights in one. Hey, like, his first fight... Uh, you can crushed him. His second fight, he got dropped by Edward Foliang, and he managed to get the win, but he got yeah. dropped bad. But only because Foliang made the mistake of following him down to the floor. Yeah. If he'd have stayed on his feet, I don't think Eddie would have got back up. Yeah, very possibly. So, I mean, listen, he's had a 
Say what you want about one, like the champions in the UFC that have gone to one have not fared very well, which well, shows to something to the talent pool in one. Speaking of which, the DJ fight. Yeah, I, and, and, and this is interesting, right? Because you can pull up a tweet of, of Mighty Mouse saying that grounded knees should be legal, but I don't know how much he was actually training them. And I, we don't know if he actually... Did he know that was the rule? I mean, I'm joking, obviously he did, but did he? But did, yeah. but did he, he, obviously, he... His natural instincts, because of all that time in the UFC, were he can't name me, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so even though objectively he may have known, may, may have known that those were the rules, his muscle memory had not been trained enough for him to avoid coming up with his head forward when somebody's got the cross frame on you, right? Like, Marais had a frame on him, right? And for all you martial arts nerds out there, the, the thing that makes the... And I like the knee to the grounded opponent. I think you should be able to do that because in the UFC, I can't strike you with my lower body when you're grounded, right? Like, I'm not allowed to knee or kick you when you're grounded, right? So in the UFC... If I'm framing you when I'm on top of you, I can only punch you, but my hands are occupied by trying to keep you down on the ground. But in one, if I can knee you to a head of, if I can knee to your head when you're grounded, I can frame with my upper body and strike you with my lower body still, which makes all of these positions way more dangerous. And uh, you know, Mighty Mouse was just trying to come up. He was just trying to defend that takedown, and then that knee came straight over the top through the frame, and you see DJ's eyes roll back yeah. in his head. He was done. He Shall was I done. Pull it up because it is. Yeah, yeah, let's let's definitely watch that. Oh! Oh, this might not be it. This might yeah. be reaction from it. Yeah, I think this is just reaction to it. So it's going to be here in a few seconds. They've slow motion. So watch. Morais has this uh, or has this frame. See that? Boom! See how he's got the left frame? Now that he can strike with the lower body because because that frame is set. So it allows him space to drop that knee. And so just transfer it over right before that knee one more time, Jake, right now. So you can see, watch, he's going to have the left forearm frame. And then he postures up and boom, done. I mean, that is brutal. And this kind of uh, dovetails back to the original point I was making with the Sambo and BJJ thing. The rules change everything. Yeah. Right? Which is interesting because in the UFC, that Eddie Alvarez thing may have not been a disqualification. May have been, but it may not have been, right? Depending on the judgment of the referee as to whether or not he thinks those knees are going to the back of the head. But the, the in one, one, go ahead. Sorry, the one I'll compare it to for the UFC, why I think it'd have been fine in the UFC, is do you remember when um, Connor fought Chad Mendez? Yeah. And was just elbowing it in the back of the head from the ground. But like you say, it was on the, it was on the mohawk. It wasn't the back of the ear. Yeah. So it wasn't getting square in the back of the head. They let that go. So I think in the UFC. I don't even. I don't necessarily even think he'd have got a warning. Or when, uh, when uh, a more recent example was when Cyril Gon fought Junior Dos Santos. This was like yeah, a two, yeah, two yeah. fights ago or something. He kind of hit him with an elbow, but again, Junior was showing his back, right? Like Junior's turned away to retreat, and he's trying to aim this thing for his head. And if you turn away, then you expose the back of your head. Like they, I don't know. There needs to be some sort of judgment there as to like balancing protecting the fighter and making sure they're not getting struck in the back of the head because I think that's important and fighters showing the back of their head to try and stop getting hit yeah, yeah. it's like okay but well, if you're turning your back on somebody but you I can't guess, expose the vital parts of your you can't as opposed to the side of your head like it just doesn't make sense I guess what the actual thing that should discourage him from doing it is that you're playing with fire because 
all right, you're turning the back of the head and, oh, you can't hit me there now. But if someone's midway through swinging a punch and can't pull out, you're going to get cracked in the back of the head. Yeah, so. it's, it's the same thing in the UFC when you get those guys who will, like, post their hand on the ground, lift it up and post it back down and put it back, because they're, they know they can't be need right there. And it's like, all right, man. I mean, you're just gamifying the rules so much that it does just kind of leave a sour taste in everybody's mouth. Yeah. Right? But crazy. I mean, Adriana Moraes is definitely one of the top flyweights in the world now because – up until this point, I mean, DJ had one split decision loss in what, fifteen fights? Yeah, never he was been, pound, never been finished. He was it. pound for pound number one. His only loss in that entire time was a split decision to Henry Cejudo in a close fight. Yeah. So, you, in the terms of the global rankings, you still have to have DJ at number two. Without, without, uh, with Cejudo gone, it probably goes to Mighty Mouse again. Or okay, Mighty Mouse, or maybe uh, Figueredo. Right, but like Mighty Mouse is still clearly just based on his record, his work, one or two in the world. Yeah, based on the body of work, the fact that that loss was a split decision. He came to one, won all of his fights. Right, Suhudo uh, retired, left the division. So you still got it. That has to put him in the global rankings at one or two. Yeah, one or two. You still might give it to Figueredo because he's in the UFC and that sort of ranking system is more fleshed out and yada yada yada. But if he's not one, he's two. With yep. that, with that win, and by the way, he got some takedowns on DJ also. Like, oh, he looked good. He looked good. Thought, it yeah. wasn't like it, that was necessarily a fluke. Like he had his moments. He's a big ass flyweight too, man. He was towering over DJ. So, and by the way, the one flyweight division is damn good. They they might have one of the best. They could potentially compete with the UFC with their top fly flyweights. They're they're good. They're damn good. Yeah. So that did bring, I think, a little bit of legitimacy to one's flyweight division. Like Eddie Alvarez losing in the lightweight division and then DJ losing in the flyweight division. That does show the world that those top one fighters, regardless of whether or not they came from the UFC, can compete with the top level UFC fighters. I mean, even even Eddie Alvarez, when he lost to Nastyukin, he lost the title to Connor. He, I think he won, had that weird fight with Poirier that he won or was disqualified, and they had it again, then he lost that fight. And he had the war with Justin Gaethje. But it's like Connor, Poirier, and Justin Gaethje. Yeah. Like, best of the best. Yeah. Okay. Top five, top fives, and then he goes and gets finished bad by Nastyukin. So, like, Eddie was still definitely in the global top ten. He might have been in the global top five when Nastyukin beat him. And then same thing, you're dealing with number one, number two ranked DJ getting finished by Morice in the second round. It just goes to show you, like, one has depth. They've got some weird shit going on, and they've got some weird <laughs> not, matchmaking. Not in all their divisions. <laughs> not in all their divisions, but in some of them. Yeah, some of them. They've yeah. got some damn good yeah. talent. And then uh, we can hit that main event with Road Tang as well. So uh, Road Tang fought this guy called Daniel Williams, and <laughs> I saw Matt Polino, former uh, guest on the, the podcast, he's doing a bunch of cornering at the – or a bunch of coaching at the UFC PI. And uh, he, he shared something that was like – their their fight records, and it was, it was I think Road Tang had two hundred and forty something professional Muay Thai bouts. Williams had like four, <laughs> and they put them together. And at first I was like, yeah, this is gonna be bullshit. At the top of the card. But then you watch the fight. The fight was damn good. Oh yeah, it's a fun fight. It was super entertaining. I mean, Road Tang obviously won. He got he dropped him in the second round. And, uh, and if you don't know Rotang, you should, because he's one of the most fun fighters on the planet, regardless of style. And uh, he's the, the Muay Thai fighter of the year last year, which is like their equivalent of like the 
Heisman or the, you know, like it's the top. It's like of all the Muay Thai fighters in Thailand, of which there are loads. Yeah. He's, he was given the king's honor of being the top Muay Thai fighter, which means he's number one of number one, basically meaning he's pound for pound. And uh, that guy put up a hell of a fight. And uh, I like that they're giving Rotang the, the national, international kind of spot at the top of the card, even above DJ and uh, Eddie Alvarez, because I think he deserves it. And the fight was a banger. And Rotang is a crowd-friendly fighter. He's like, fucking punches himself in the head, <laughs> hypes himself up and everything. And he's damn fun to watch. I think so, good idea to showcase the one kickboxing as well, because the one kickboxing is brilliant. And they do it in small gloves, yeah. right? The Muay Thai there. They, so it's not the big gloves. You can still get the punches in those little gaps and everything. So I thought it was a fun card. I thought it was fun. I thought it was crazy. It's uh, interesting to see where one's going to go after this, though. Well, we know where one's going. Oh, yeah. Let's pull up the next one. Christian Lee's coming out party. Let's see. I mean, if he beats Nastyukin. It is he's coming out party. Yeah, absolutely. So we have Janet Todd, who's just coming off of the win of, of, over Stamp Fairtex. Fighting uh, Leanne Hogstad. I don't know who she is. Um, obviously, with a one female Muay Thai, I'm not super uh, knowledgeable about that. Other than the champions and the people that I've seen watch, I've seen fight over the last couple years within one. Because I mean, can anyone else tell me the female Muay Thai rankings in the? I mean, yeah. it's a tough, tough sell, right? But now that one has integrated these these uh, divisions into their their fight cards. I am watching, and uh, Janet Todd looked good. Stan Fairtex is obviously right there. They the one Muay Thai matchmaking is pretty damn good. The one Muay Thai and kickboxing, those fights are good. Yeah. So I am looking forward to that one. And then you got uh, Christian Lee, who's the current champion, not from Singapore, fighting uh, <laughs> Timothy Nastukin, who's the guy who knocked out Eddie Alvarez. He had an injury, which prevented him from having this fight for quite some time. Watch that one closely. Watch that one closely. Yeah. Because with uh, Timothy just beating Eddie Alvarez and finishing him. Uh, if Christian can get through him, I mean, he just beat Daggy. He beat uh, Yuri. If he beats Timothy, then I, I believe he actually like cements his status at the top of that division, uh, notwithstanding a potential Eddie Alvarez fight. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to watch that one closely. If he gets through him, this guy is, could be a – I mean, he's already a stud, right? But he yeah. could be – But he could be – I mean, in – you know, you're taking one UFC Bellator even, Christian wins this, like, where's he in the ranking between those organizations? Like, he's... Right there. Yeah, right, right at the there. top. If he wins, he's right there, which will be interesting to see um, how, how this plays out. And then I wonder how loyal he is to one, right? I'd say fairly. <laughs> fairly. <laughs> Given all they've done for him, you know, his two sisters fight on the... For them as well, but if he he's gets this, <laughs> but if he gets this title and he's dominant for a few years, I mean, is he going to want to go to the UFC at some point to see? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, listen, no matter what one does, they're not competing with the UFC anytime soon. In terms of the global uh, global understanding of who the best fighters in the world are, right now they're in the UFC, and it doesn't mean you can't have guys come in and win and lose, right? That's not what I'm saying. Obviously, there are fighters that can beat. UFC champions, UFC top five. One has made that clear, right? But the ones that have come to one have been like kind of past their prime and still highly ranked and still still able to fight with the best in the world. But they're not like, I mean, but Christian Lee versus Khabib. I mean, come on. Come on. Khabib's obviously still the number one. Dustin Poirier. Come on. Charles but, Oliveira. But Christian Lee's significantly younger than Oh, yeah. This, which is why I'm saying that, like... Yeah. 
I mean, even if you throw him in the top five right now, I wouldn't like his chances. No. But four or five years from now, he's going to be like, what, 27? Like, I mean, then we're now we're talking, right? Yeah. So this is why, and I, I think he can go to the UFC and still be loyal to one, right? It just, he needs to actually, and by the way, one, or Chachri in particular, does like have connections with the UFC. I mean, Rafael Dos Anjos was their champion and he like repped Evolve and all that kind of stuff. So Nation if Thai. it boosts his, 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 uh, ranking and he, he can still wear the evolve shorts and shit when he's fighting in in the ufc so that's kind of where i'm going with this if he can defend this title a few more times beat eddie alvarez get through nest will he we eventually see him in in the ufc someday he actually doesn't hurt one's brand it promotes one's brand if he goes over to the ufc as and, one's yeah, champion as one's and becomes champion the ufc and champion wins. yeah like he's he's actually promoting one even though they're not getting money from it yeah that's yeah. true that's true so yeah, that's quite that's what I'm curious about anyway. But I'm gonna watch that one. This we got a couple good one cards coming in hot, and then uh, what else we got here? Anything else super interesting? Okay. Not quite as stacked as the last Nakahara. one. Nakahara, you can get a Korean fighter. I can shout out anyone else. Okay, so I'm pretty much familiar with those top guys on the card. That's about it. But still, those those top two. But in particular, that one definitely worth watching. Yeah, if you've not seen Christian Lee fight, like. You watch it. Be, I, oh. man, he fights like a bat out of yeah. hell. Best of all, just go on YouTube. Free. Yeah, it's fucking, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's why it's so fun. Yeah. You just roll up, watch it, easy. And there's always some good fights on those one cards. So if you're late to one, which most of these people listening to this podcast are not because we're based in Singapore. But if you happen to be catching this from somewhere else, definitely check out one championship, man. Because if, if, if they haven't convinced you with the quality of some of their fighters, with Rotang, with... Uh, DJ just getting beat by Adriana Marais. Nastyukin beating Eddie Alvarez, Timothy, or sorry, Christian Lee fighting, Angela Lee, Victoria Lee. There's some damn good, damn, damn, damn good fighters. And they're kickboxing and Muay Thai is the best in the world. The best. The best in the world. Outside of like Thailand where, you you know, if you don't speak Thai, you don't stand a chance. But <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, finish up you know, on you said the... the Aljamain. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the kind of gossip of the last couple days is that apparently... Aljamain Sterling, who who just won by knockout loss to Piotr Jan. <laughs> yes, I say that again. He won by knockout loss <laughs> uh, to Piotr Jan by an illegal knee, which, to tie it back, is what Demetrius Johnson just lost with. But in one, you're allowed to knee the head of a downed opponent. So uh, he got kneed illegally according to the uh, UFC rules and then won the bout by disqualification. And apparently... <laughs> and he made a mistake by saying, too, that in his message that he has... A neck issue apparently has some herniated disc and he's had this issue for 10 years and he's decided now of all times to get surgery done on this and the uh, social media was not very happy that he's decided after that win to now take time to get that surgery so I think it was uh, I think it was the UFC man I think it was like the UFC or it was maybe it was ESPN MMA if you uh, yeah, put yeah. in ESPN MMA there's a uh, a picture of Aljamain talking about getting the getting the surgery on his neck and the comments were ruthless ruthless it was like paper champ this paper champ this oh you got so yeah find the one with Aljo there it must be one of the you might have to go down a little bit because the UFC was just this morning but I just thought the comments were funny so I thought we'd pull them up and, and share and I don't really begrudge Aljamain for any of this but it kind of allows you to take the temperature on what the MMA community thinks about him deciding that now of all times he's going to go ahead and get that surgery. 
even though he lost the fight due to a very controversial uh, loss. I can't, I can't find it. Yeah, they post a lot, and they just yeah, there's so they, much on there. They just and they just had fights today, so they they've been very active on it. But if you just see a picture of Aljamain Sterling, I'm pretty sure it's there. Um, but yeah, dude, it was. It was ruthless. So give us just a minute to see if either one of us can find this because I just wanted to go through the comments because they were absolutely hilarious. And then oh, there's fights coming up next weekend as well. Is next weekend Askren? Uh, April 14th, I think. Oh, yeah, so that's next weekend. Are we are we going to be shills for covering that is my question? Oh, let's shill away. Are we going to be selling out for... All right, so what do you think, Jake? What are your thoughts on that? I think we've talked about it a couple times. And we'll do a post-fight thing as well while I try to find this. We'll do a post-fight thing talking about it. But I just think he's fun. I don't actually care what... Well, I do care what happens. I think everybody wants to see you know, Ben win and win handsomely. And I assume that's what's going to happen. I just think... I, I watched... Um, Chael Sonnen was talking about it. So yeah. This definitely isn't my idea. But he was like, you know, Ben's just going to hang off his neck drag him round the ring, use his superior cardio, not even actually try and box him properly, just dirty box him. And, you know, Jake Paul's never actually th- fought a combat athlete before, and he's just going to gas, and then Ben's going to do what he wants. He's certainly not fought an athlete to, to that level. Sorry, I'm just trying to check. Maybe it was Ariel Helwani's uh, Instagram that I saw that. So maybe while I'm chatting here, Jake, you can... Yeah, you, you, can... you give your thoughts, and I'll try and find it. Okay, sure. So, I mean, I honestly don't know <laughs> like yeah oh, i don't know i'm just which is kind of the intriguing part and kind of the fun part about this fight is that ben Askren's pure boxing is so terrible that that it gives <laughs> jake paul a chance like here's the thing if you watch jake paul hit the mitts clearly he looks better than ben Askren. like just hitting the mitts but the mitts don't fight back yeah first of all second of all in terms of competition pure competitive mindset toughness grit determination, competing with high-level people. I mean, Ben Askren wins in spades, right? And at a certain point, those paths will diverge if the fight goes long enough, right? Like, at a certain point, Ben's superior competitive uh, uh, mindset mindset, and his experience will take over as the fight goes late. But there's so many varying factors, right? First of all, he just had hip surgery like two mo- three months ago. So, you know, in that sense, Jake Paul's kind of Floyd Mayweathering him a little bit, right? Yeah. And then on the other hand, Jake Paul hasn't fought anyone, like, except a basketball player and a YouTuber. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to look like a stud when you're fighting them. I think, like, the psychological war is going to play a huge part in this one. And, and did you watch any of the press conferences? Oh, Ben owned them. Ben owned them, I thought. Like shit all over him, sort of. Because Ben is a shit talker. Yeah, like he and will, does not care. Yeah, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, he is a shit talker, and he knows he's competed with like some scary motherfuckers. Right? I mean, Ben Askren, and I'm not even talking about MMA. Yeah. But he wrestled in the Olympics, and he went through murderers row and cut. Like that guy has been competing with athletes that are horrifying to like the shit that you think about in your nightmares if you want to think about people you want to fight. Or grapple combat sport of any caliber, right? And Ben Askren is tough, and he's got a chin. He's just—you don't know how his body's going to be, if he's going to be in good shape, what the fight's going to look like, how dirty he's going to be. The longer the fight goes on, the more it favors Askren, I think. Yeah. Early on in the first few rounds, it might be a little dicey for him, but it's—it's it's intriguing, I guess. I mean, they got me. 
They got me, man. I'll watch it. Hell yeah. I found the Al Jermaine. Oh, there you go. Oh, let's go through these comments. So, Al Jermaine Sterling to have neck surgery. And, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's zoom in on these comments here. So, Sterling said on his podcast that he's hoping to return later this year, possibly as soon as October 4 goes well. First and, comment. And, and read the bottom of the, the image as well. All right, so, for uh, their listeners. Aljamain Sterling to have neck surgery. Uh, Aljamain Sterling will undergo neck surgery on April 15th to address a medical issue he's dealt with for nearly 10 years. Sterling said physicians have diagnosed him with a herniated disc and will operate on his C6. C7 vertebrae, that probably wasn't helped by getting kneed in the head. Sure. Yeah, with the direct impact on his spine. Uh, so the MMA... <laughs> Actually, on that note, read the second top comment. Yeah. Well, I'll go... I like the top <laughs> one. The top one, just in capital letters, vacate. And that's the top comment most amount yeah. of likes. Uh, Jan almost fixed it. Yeah, fixed his vertebrae. <laughs> and by the way, that sounds like it's serious, but... If he's had it for 10 years and he's fought, this, yeah. he shouldn't have said that. Yeah. He shouldn't have he said... Just be, if he'd have just said, oh, my neck's messed up after getting kneed in the head. Everyone would have been like, oh, yeah, he needs the fuck sense. out of your head. It makes total sense. <laughs> but then he's like, oh, I've had it for 10 years. And they're like, well, you just fought with it then. And then now you want to vacate? So we'll go through these comments, dude. He I'll, find, I'll find good ones. Holding onto the belt as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one. Go through all of them, like the top 10. Oh, just pa- keep going. Paper champ. And the one above that, too. Because that, that one really encapsulates. I genuinely felt bad for him at the start. Now I really hate the guy. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, funny that after 10 years, he suddenly goes into surgery when Peter wants a rematch. Strip him and let Jan fight for it. Strip him. He's a paper champ anyway. Who cares? <laughs> that's, even, that's the worst yeah, one. That's the Who worst cares? One. Capital, strip him. Holding on to that belt as long as he can. You want to know what, though? I'm sure he was on Rogan. And on Rogan, he said he didn't have health insurance. Jesus, really? Yeah. I'm 95% certain that's what he said. So in a way, it does make sense that he might have been dealing with this issue. And then now he's got money and, uh, you know, got insurance. was like, I'll better get my spine fixed. Well, I mean, I think no matter what, he's going to have to fight Piotr Jan again. Yeah. Like, that's coming. I mean, whether he delays it, however, it's kind of annoying, right? But, I mean, what do you... He probably does need the surgery. And... But it is... Not helping his public image. That's that, that's all I'll say on that. And you know, it's it's easy as a person who doesn't didn't hasn't fought professionally in the UFC for the last ten years and wasn't ranked like number one or number two in the world and didn't just fight Piotr Jan. I mean, like he's not afraid to fight him. No, right? I mean, he's not afraid to fight him. And you know, it's probably just the opportunity. Maybe he wants his neck to be good for when he defends his belt. Yeah, whether yeah. it was. You know, it's so easy to just shit talk him, and I get it. Like my impulse is kind of to do that too, but he's probably going to have that date with with Jan, whether whether it's in three months or six months or eight months or ten months or whenever. He's going to have to deal with that guy, and uh, you know, maybe his thinking is like, "Hey, I need to sh- sort this shit out. If yeah. I want to have a I chance." I want to be hundred percent to defend my belt. Yeah, and he didn't look bad. He didn't look great. He was. He was. He had. He moments. was losing the fight, but he wasn't out of the fight. Yes, exactly. And uh, he was clearly losing, and it was clearly inferior technically. But that doesn't mean he couldn't have created a scramble. And and he also feel like it was clearly the number one contender. Yeah. I mean, he choked out Corey Sandhagen in like a minute, who was the, another top prospect, right? So I'll kind of I'll give Aljo his respect, eh? and I, I do think that he was blatantly illegally need, and I think the disqualification think was, was the right yep. call. It was the right call. Uh, so he's just in a in a tough spot, and I definitely feel like he's. Hearing this, right? 
not this exact podcast, but he's getting the vibes of what the internet is saying about his status as champion. And I'm sure he's reading the comments. And if that's not going to motivate him to try to figure this out, I don't know what will. So um, whatever happens, I, I don't know if he'll beat Jan. I, I'm, I don't believe he will. But if he needed a reason that he didn't already have to get motivated to figure out a way and put 100% of his effort in, I think the uh, the the PR that he's receiving now, having lost, you know, got DQ'd in that fight, and then this stuff, is just yeah, the kick in the ass that he needs. Yeah, that's it's plenty. <laughs> that's plenty. Or just retire. Retire, retire the champ. <laughs> That'd be the move. I'm the champ. Yeah, that, <laughs> to be the most hated UFC champion of all time. Just retire now. Quit while you're ahead, baby. I'm undefeated champ. So yeah, I'm, exactly. I'll quit. Yeah. Me and Khabib. Only, <laughs> only champs to retire without ever losing the belt, baby. And GSP, he'll go out amongst legends. Uh, I don't think he'll do it. We're just talking shit. But, yeah. All right, dude. Is, is there anything else that we thought of that was worth... Uh, Worth hitting up before we wrap this thing up. I think we did a cool hour yeah. and a half. Yeah, we've done a session, so all good. Oh, big 50 next next time. Yes, next next uh, week is the 50th podcast. Hopefully, maybe Stephen and Ron to get on. Because, you know, a lot of these podcasts, I try to be somewhat coherent <laughs> and somewhat uh, intelligible and easy to understand and articulate. I know <laughs> even then I'm like, oh, maybe. But when Ron and Stephen come on, this just turns weird <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely like oh that's going to be a session yeah that is going to be a session so if you enjoy that kind of thing then we might have a good one for you if that sounds like a verbal diarrhea that you want no part of I also get that and then we'll be back on with more reasonable guests and more reasonable commentary after that one but we're 50 podcasts deep uh, it's been a trip we're trying to still make this thing better and better uh, each week and uh, yeah thank everybody for uh, listening and uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And we will see you next week for some shenanigans. This is the Stronghold Podcast. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, everybody listening. Have a good day.